Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Thank you. I'm Terry, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Terry. Hi, everybody. Oh, wait, I'll put my video on. Um, good morning, everybody. And I am grateful to be here. I haven't been to my Saturday and Sunday meetings this weekend. Um, I made it yesterday, but I, it's a funny just to miss a couple meetings. I feel the difference. And, um, that has been key to my recovery, going to meetings um, and keeping coming back. As far as um, how why I qualify, I come from a family, of an Irish Catholic family. I grew up back east. Um, I come from a long line of compulsive overeaters, alcoholics, and drug users, and compulsive overworkers. And um, I had a mother who was manic depressive. That's what we know it to be now, or bipolar, as they call it today. And I was very much, um, I was, I used to say I was one of too many. I was the fifth of six kids, and my mother was really not capable of taking care of us for the most part. My two older sisters, it's less that their hearts were kind of surrogate mothers for me. So I feel like I was really that God really watched out for me and um, gave me the gift of two older sisters as I was growing up but there was a lot that was missing and I had a lot of um, there was a lot of neglect in some very very fundamental ways which I don't need to share with anybody but my sponsor Um, and there was a lot of abuse in the family and a lot of uncertainty with a mother who was very unstable so I kind of had a rocky start when I um, first, my first memory of food was when I was three years old. We had moved from the Midwest to New Jersey and our, we were having a house built. And my dad, I went with him to go see the new house. It was under construction. And we walked into the foyer of the house and there was a man sitting there all in white. He must have been a painter or a carpenter. And he was sitting on the floor eating his lunch. And he took out a Clark bar and started eating it. And I just stood there staring at him. And I can remember my dad being way you know, up high. And I hear his voice, Teresa, please don't stare at the man while he's eating his lunch. It's impolite, right? But I was fascinated by that Clark bar and I wanted it. So I remember that very clearly. And... Um, for me, I think for sugar and uh, flowery substances, sweet flowery substances were always going to be a source of comfort for me to help fill a lot of, of needs and emotional um, uh, emptiness that I had as a result of being a child that really wasn't taken care of properly. And I've had to have years of reparenting myself with the help of um, professionals for many years and with the help of the OA program and with the help of a sponsor who I who identified herself as a step sponsor. 
I told many people and shared often that I, I um, only worked the first three steps for the first two years of being in OA. All I could do was admit that I had a problem with food, admit that I had a problem with trying to control my food through exercise and through bulimia, which in my case was laxatives. And by um, starting to really develop a spiritual, some kind of a spiritual life, seeking, seeking out a relationship with a higher power, who was my original concept of a higher power was a, a Catholic God um, who uh, was pretty, pretty mighty and uh, kind of um, scary, but loving also, but I didn't feel like I had a relationship. It was kind of like me down on the planet and something up there in the sky that was looking down at what, what the heck I was doing, uh, good or bad. And that was sort of the relationship. But I can tell you that I went to all parochial schools growing up and even college. And it was the, the nuns were a tremendous sense of comfort for safety for me, structure for me. I loved school and I know that it's because there was consistency there and there wasn't drama and crisis and uncertainty. I didn't have fear when I was at school. And I think that had a lot to do with why I loved it so much. So my experience was not a bad experience with all that. Um, my mother was a nun in a convent, which was a novice in a convent. Um, and she had to come home because her dad was sick. He was injured at work and um, she had to help the family. And she met my dad and then the rest is history. She had six kids and never went back to the convent, you know, but she was very religious. And I think that is the one thing that kept her somewhat grounded through her mental illness. So all these things became clearer to me as I worked the steps. After, after two years, I found a step sponsor who spoke at my home meeting. She was from another a Berkeley meeting or Oakland meeting, the 7 a.m. Oakland meeting is where she was from. And this was like 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I guess. And um, when she shared, she said that people who talked about being abstinent for you know, 16, 17, 18 years, perfect abstinence. She said she didn't believe them. She said she thought they were lying because we lie to ourselves all the time. And the program is what helps us stay honest. So I just got such a kick out of her saying that. And her story was amazing that I um, asked her to be my sponsor and we worked the steps. And I guess what I want to say is that that was really the turning point. There's always like that pivotal point for us in uh, recovery. And that was definitely my major pivotal point, being willing to work the steps with someone I didn't even know, but somehow felt I could trust. I feel like I was led to her. We met weekly at a meeting. I used a workbook that was called the, four, the 12 Steps of Way Out. It was just a generic 12-step book. We didn't have an OA workbook. We didn't have the 12 by 12 for OA. We only used AA literature. And I just met with her and told her my story and shared my writings. And before you know it, halfway through, my way of eating changed dramatically. And I wish I could tell you I knew why that was or what magical things I did or brilliant things I did. But what I did was I yielded to the process 
you know, I just said, I will do whatever it is you tell me to do. And there were times when it was really hard. And there have been times when it was a breeze, you know, and, um, and I've weathered all of that. And I continue to, because I believe in this program, I had seen and known people very close to me who were alcoholic, who could not stop drinking. And that was what convinced me that I needed to be in OA was because I saw 12 step programs work for other people and they got sober and they stayed sober and they couldn't do it on their own. And I couldn't stop eating and over exercising and taking laxatives on my own. So here we are um, about 35 years later at a normal weight, which I've maintained within like five to 10 pounds over the course of that 30 years. And um, I'm just so grateful. Um, we, a, a friend in program was sharing their frustration with themselves because they had had a slip with their food. And I'm just gonna be very general about it, but you know what, it just, it just said to her, you know what, you're just a baby. You're just a baby in this program. You're learning, to, you're just crawling and now you're learning to walk and you keep stumbling and falling at times, but you get up and you keep going. And that really is the trick. Um, people told me, expect a miracle. Um, somebody said, as when I came in, in my first few meetings, something really good is going to happen to you. Sure enough, stuff did just remarkably without my having anything to do with it. And that's been my life story since I came into program. Good things continue to happen. Um, I, I, I really relate to the Bon Jovi song, Living on a Prayer, you know, because that's really what it is. It doesn't really matter, you know, ultimately what happens, but we've got it all stick together. And um, I have done that and I've been blessed by people who took me under their wing and wanted me to be their fellow and friend and have remained that with me for years. People I would trust with my children, um, if my horse, my four, my four cats, I would trust them completely. And um, I never knew people like that. It, don't miss this opportunity to have those kinds of relationships and friendships and trust and help that exists through this program. And um, I always like to look at, there's a chapter here. I can't remember exactly the chapter. Bear with me a second in the big book, but it was, yeah. I always like to, that God would, that God would ultimately reveal himself to us. Here it is, here's my favorite page. Still you say, um, this is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you don't have it, get one. <laughs> That's in order. Um, I will not have the benefit of contact with you who write this book, this person, you may say. We cannot be sure. God will determine that. So you must remember that your real reliance is upon him. He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And I'm complete. Thank you. Thanks for letting me be up to service.